Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 635 of the Juicebox Podcast. Sarah is with us today. She is the mother of a child with type 1 diabetes, and her child was diagnosed while on a family trip to Costa Rica. If you thought episode 478, DKA on a plane was crazy, wait until you hear this, because Sarah's story is crazy on steroids. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. After today's show, please consider going to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box to fill out the survey. You have to be a U.S. resident who has type 1 or a U.S. resident who is the parent or caregiver of a type 1. This survey will only take you a few minutes. It can happen right there on your phone. And if you're interested, it may give you the option to be in trials in the future. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod. If you are looking for a tubeless insulin pump, you are looking for the Omnipod Dash. I'll be telling you more about it later in the show, but right now you could go over to Omnipod.com forward slash juice box to learn more about the Omnipod Dash, see if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Dash, and if you'd like to learn more about the Omnipod 5, you can go to omnipod.com forward slash juicebox5. All right, everybody, buckle up. Sarah's going to tell a story, and multiple times during this story, you're going to think to yourself, what did she just say? Mm, a speedboat? Okay. Hello, my name is Sarah, and we live in the Midwest. Um and my son, Ezra, who is 11 years old, is a type 1 diabetic. Already so many things don't make sense. You're in the Midwest, <laughs> but your son's name is Ezra? Yeah, he was born on the West Coast. Yeah, just say that. Just say, look, <laughs> don't try to confuse me. <laughs> We're temporary residents of the Midwest, originating from a hippie town on the West Coast. Okay, now I get it. That's fine. <laughs> you, you came out of the gate trying to confuse me. That's not necessary. <laughs> Um, how old was Ezra when he was diagnosed? Uh, Ezra was nine years old. And is 11 now? And he's 11. Mm -hmm. uh, my memory is rock solid this morning. That was amazing. <laughs> I know for many people, they're like, Scott, you've only been recording for a minute, but it's a lot for me. So, uh, okay. So he's uh, nine years old, had two years, any in your family at all. How about you? Your yeah. thyroid work, anything like that? Everything's I'm all good, but my dad was a type one diabetic who passed away at 46. So I was 14 when he died. Uh, these are the um, I, I don't I don't think I've ever said this out loud, but those are one of the hardest like backgrounds to to, to listen to is when a parent of a child, you know, in modern times has type one, and then they say, oh my my mom or my dad had it, but it didn't go well. And, right. and that's how it's because that must scare the hell out of you. Right. Yeah, it absolutely does. I think, um, 
I think that it's it's like kind of always looming, I'd say. And you know, I mean, you like fundamentally and intellectually, you know that care now and care when your father had diabetes is completely different, but it's, I would imagine it's just hard to shake that. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he died. So he was diagnosed in his early thirties. So that was a little bit unique too. So he only had, he was only type one for maybe like 15 years. And I don't, you know, I was a kid, so I don't really remember what his management was like. I don't remember. I mean, I remember him having low blood sugar and we'd be out and about doing things. And all of a sudden we'd need to like run through the McDonald's drive through so he could get like those little packets of honey mm-hmm. um, or everything would be fine. And then he'd have low blood sugar and he'd just be really um, his mood would change. Um, but aside from that, I, you know, I don't really remember a lot of the day-to-day management of it. And um, he, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I wish I knew more. My parents were divorced and I, so my mom doesn't have a really good um, kind of history on it. And um, I was living with him alone when he died. It, but again, you know, I was a kid, so I, I, it's just yeah. not really there. Wow. So Sarah, your parents divorced before he was diagnosed or after? They um, divorced after. So he was diagnosed around the time I was born, which was in 77. And then they divorced in 82. So um he, uh, I mean, a lot of the period of his diabetes, my parents weren't together. Are you an only child? I have a sister who's a little bit younger than I am. Younger. And so when your parents divorced, you live with your father? When my parents divorced, we both lived with my mom. And then, you know, as I got a little bit older and I was in my teen years, she and I were having a lot of problems. And so I went and lived with him. Gotcha. Yeah. I, um, you need a moderator when, your teenage daughter becomes a teenager. (laughs) Yeah. There's got to be another voice going, whoa, whoa, ladies, what are we doing? Yeah. (laughs) Time out, time out. (laughs) You know, know, this might not make sense to younger parents or people who don't have kids, but there's, um, I don't know how to think of it, if it's, if it's currency or what it is, but as a, as a man in a, in a, in a standard relationship where there's a, a wife and some children and some of those children are women or men, doesn't matter. Um, every time you see your wife have an issue with your kids and you think you need to interject, you realize you're about to spend some of your capital <laughs> and, and, you don't, <laughs> and you don't get it back. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, like, it's like you started with a hundred dollars and every time you open your mouth and you're like, Hey, listen, I, I think, I think she's making sense here. Like your, your wife looks at you and just pulls out a ledger and goes minus five. And (laughs) we're taking another five points off right there. And then there's notes underneath where it says, didn't take my side in conversation about blah. And you're like, listen, I think, you know, then you'll come in in a situation where you're like, Hey, listen, Arden is obviously wrong here. I will step in. And you would think that maybe there'd be like a bell that goes off and I would like regain some of the capital, but it doesn't work that way. I only go backwards. I've never gone up. Um, So I take your point about you and your mom. I mean, I don't know. I'm assuming Kelly and Arden would have killed each other years ago if I wasn't here. And I bet you that they don't think that at all, by the way. Which no. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're never going to get credit for that. No, no, no. I think they just think I'm a moron. They're like, oh, yeah. just, you know. 
whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the glue. But uh, they'll think what they think. I'm sure they're the glue for me in ways, too. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. So you and your mom almost claw each other's eyes out. You end up with your dad. <laughs> uh, yes, <Yeah>. so like, <laughs> more or less, yeah. <laughs> how <laughs> Are you and your mom just very similar? Um, you know, n- no, we're very different. And I think that was the, the rub was, um, we just like, didn't see eye to eye on stuff. Right. Okay. So, but now you're with him. And I know this is about your son. We'll get to it <laughs> at some point. Um, but, uh, you get with your father. How old are you now? I was 14. So I lived with him for like the last six months of his life. Oh, holy shit. Really? Oh, I didn't mean to curse. That's terrible. Let me make a note about where I curse so I can go back later. I've learned that if I make a note, it's easier for me on the editing side. It only took me seven <laughs> years to figure that out. <laughs> um, that's how badly I can't read my own writing. I was like, oh, seems like a problem, but I'll try it. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I know that's probably a long time ago, but that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it was... Um... It was terrible because I he was definitely getting worse while I was living with him. I think his, um, I mean, just looking back now, knowing what I know about diabetes, I think his blood sugar was just like really hard to manage for him. And he didn't tell me anything about it. And my mom hadn't told me anything about it. So, um, you know, I was just living with this person who was, who had, I think a lot of I mean, I think his blood sugar was just either high or low. There was definitely one time I remember when he got really low and I had to call, um, I had to call 911 because he was near unconsciousness. Um, but again, like they came and they, you know, got his sugars back up and then that was it. Like we never talked about it or he never said, you know, like if I have low blood sugar, I need you to do this, this and this. There was no glucagon there. It was just, you know. He didn't know what he Everything. was doing. Yeah, no idea. Yeah. Would that have been the early 90s about that time? Yes, that would have been like 91, 92. Okay. Would be nice if you would acknowledge how amazing it was that I just did that, but you don't have to. Yeah, very, very good math there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's not the math that you should be impressed with. It's that I remembered how old you were and what year it was and like. <laughs> See, y'all don't know me well enough. I'm just telling you, it was a major accomplishment just now when I yanked out of my head that that was the early 90s. That's all. Uh, but well, So your dad had diabetes at a time that is just, you know, before everything. He was probably using regular and MPH when he started. I'm guessing he or did you know if he even switched to a faster acting or would you even have no way of knowing that? No way of knowing that. No, I remember him taking his blood sugar, like doing finger pokes and then. I definitely remember him injecting himself, you know, into his thigh or into his stomach. Um, but I have no idea what kind of insulin he was using or how often he was injecting or anything like that. Okay. All right. Well, then we fast forward till two years ago. How long has it been since your father's passed? Uh, let's see. He passed on July 6th and this would have been, I'm, uh, 30 years ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to get off this right now, but you were alone with him when he died. I was not at his house. Um, I was actually on a road trip with my mom and he, um, 
he thought he had the flu and he'd called into work and let his business partner know that he wasn't feeling well. And, and then he didn't show up for work the next day and his business partner thought something was wrong and, and found him. Oh, I'm sorry. And that road trip was called rumble in the jungle part three or something. You, did you guys name it? <laughs> was there a boxing poster that went along with it? <laughs> <laughs> Disagreeing in a car part four. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, okay. I have one last question. Did your father's passing bring you and your mom closer? Um, let's see, you know, it forced us to live together again, which I think ultimately made us kind of, um, have to get along a little bit better, Hmm. but, um, you know, my dad, my dad's passing was really sudden. He was in really good shape. He'd just um, done like a, I don't know, 300 mile bike race. Um, it was just really, it wasn't, yeah. uh, it was a huge surprise. I remember him dropping me off at our house and waving goodbye and he, he looked fine. He looked really healthy. So it was definitely it was hard. It was, you know, that was a really hard time. Right. But I mean, he was probably in DKA half the time. He was probably ripped. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I know that's a weird way to think about it, but if his blood sugars were high a lot, he probably didn't have any body fat. He probably looked lean and healthy and mm-hmm. yeah, people that didn't understand it at the time wouldn't see it like that. Okay. Well, so I, I appreciate you giving me that context because for me, I mean, understanding a little bit about what we're going to talk about here, I would think a lot of that colors how you feel when Ezra is diagnosed. So I guess let's jump to that then. Were there any signs? Did you ever think to yourself, wow, somebody might get diabetes one day and my dad had it? Was there anything like that in your head prior? Yeah. I mean, I remember him saying that it skips generations. So um, like in the back of my head, it was always kind of like, this could happen. But the interesting thing is that in something I've reflected on quite a bit since Ezra has been diagnosed is, you know, you go to those well child checkups and they ask for your family history, almost like every time you go to those. And not one time did any of his pediatricians say to me, Hey, you know, you have diabetes in your family. And like, these would be the signs that you would be need to be aware of if your kid developed diabetes, because I didn't know what they were, you know, in my head, I had an idea of what diabetes looked like. And I didn't know to look for like, my kid would be really thirsty and peeing a lot and lose weight. And, you know, these would be the other signs and symptoms. So it was like, I I knew it, but I wasn't, I didn't know what to look for, I guess. Yeah. Do you think you seem like a reasonable person, Sarah, I'm going to ask you a question. Not that other people, by the way, if you've been on the podcast previously and I didn't ask you this question, it's not because you didn't seem reasonable, Uh, but it just popped into my head. Do you think we expect too much out of other people? Like because of their professions? Uh, I do think that we sometimes expect too much out of other people. Absolutely. Okay. And I, oh yeah. No, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I think because because of our experience as Ezra went into DKA so quickly, it just was like really rapid. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's one of those things that's pretty easy. Like, you know, we have all the markers, like now when you take your kid to the, to the pediatrician or whatever, they give him like a depression screening that could be done for diabetes just as easily. Right. You could say to a parent, like, Hey, 
here are the three main symptoms of your child developing diabetes that you should look for. And it would be like a two minute conversation. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how that ends up happening. If the diabetes, you know, American diabetes association has to make that a priority with the pediatric um, society. I don't know mm-hmm. how, like, but because you're right. I mean, anybody who's got kids in the last at least 10 years knows that at, at every well checkup, the doctor's like, so how have you been? Like you just suddenly like they get real friendly with the kids and you're like, what's, uh-huh. which way is, what, what are we doing now? Like, you can't date my child. Like, where's this going? Like, what are your interests? Like, oh man, what's up? Just hit him in the knee and look in his ear, you know? Uh-huh. But then you realize pretty quickly, like, they're trying to find out if the kid's depressed. And right. I, I don't imagine that, you know, that wasn't something they always did. Like, so you're saying at the end of that, and, and has there been any, um, you know, uh, Odd thirst issues? Have you lost weight recently? Mood changes, like stuff like that. I wonder if the thing that gets me about it is like, I think it's important. You think it's important. But how many kids are there in the planet versus how many of them get diabetes? And if we're going to screen for that, like, what else are we going to screen for? Like, does your well visit become a nine hour, you know, three part interview at some point? Like, well, you know what I mean? Like, where do they stop, I guess? When they're, right. adi- when they're adding things. I'm not arguing yeah. against it. I'm just trying to think of it in a bigger way. Yeah. No, I, I can totally appreciate that. And I think, you know, even if you just have that conversation with families that have diabetes in their family history, you could, you know, reduce the number of conversations you're having, right? Like mm-hmm. we know that there's some genetic component to it. So even that, right, would catch a bunch of families, but not... Um, like all the families. Yeah. I wonder if there's not like, do you, do you ever use 23andMe or one of those services? Uh, I've heard of them. Yes. Okay. So I did it. My wife made me do it. If I'm being honest, it wasn't even, I did it. Like it was a Christmas present for me. Like worst Christmas present ever. Like I opened up a <laughs> box. I'm like, what is it? She's like, it's a tube. You're going to spit into it. I'm like, oh great. Merry Christmas. Um, <laughs> because I'm adopted and she wanted to, anyway, not the point. The point is, is that since I've used it, um, I I opted into answering other questions and every once in a while I get an email from them and it just asks like 10 or 11 questions and it, it screens you for like this certain thing. And I'm like, as I was listening to you and thinking about the problem, I was like, that might be a good fix for this. Like, what if your sure. pediatrician just sent out a link once in a while and you just click through some stuff real quick. And if it throws yeah. a flag, they get back to you. I'm a genius is what I just figured out. Yeah. You just figured it out. Yeah. No kidding. Awesome. I'm being underpaid, Sarah. That's obvious. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So, so what, what are the first signs for Ezra then? Uh, let's see. So, uh, he was drinking more water, although we had, um, when he started to get sick, we were in Costa Rica and the intention was that we were going to be there for many months and travel around. So he was drinking more water and was definitely peeing a little bit more. And it made perfect sense to me because we were essentially in a jungle and it was really, really hot. And, um, you know, yeah. everybody drinks more water when they're hot. Trust me, if you were in Antarctica, you'd think, oh, he's wearing these, these incredibly tight, heavy clothes. Yeah, he's sweating a right? lot. Like, you're, you would have found another way to like, like just <laughs> justify it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what everybody's <laughs> brain does. But uh, because can you imagine if our brains immediately jump to, oh, my gosh. I saw a thing that's slightly different than yesterday. I probably have an incurable disease. 
like we'd be pretty crippled as a as a society if everybody's yeah. mind jumped to that right away. So you see the the thirst. I have to ask first. You were in Costa Rica. We were in Costa Rica. Yeah. So we had. Um, I'd always wanted to live abroad with my kids, and we just had this like window that opened up. And I thought, if we don't go and do this right now, we're never going to have one of these windows again. Mm-hmm. And so we left the states at the beginning of April with the intention that we would be there until through August and we were going to move every four weeks. So we would live in like several of the microclimates down there. Mm -hmm. So we got there in the beginning of April and Ezra, Ezra was diagnosed April 23rd. So we'd been there a little over three weeks and, um, and yeah. And he, when we got to Costa Rica, he had no symptoms. Like everything was perfectly fine. He, didn't start drinking more water until, I don't know, maybe a week or 10 days before he was diagnosed. That's 2019, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, what's it like being diagnosed in a different place than where you're used to living? Like, I'm assuming healthcare seems different. There's probably language barriers, unless you... Yeah, yes. Yeah, so I don't speak Spanish. So that definitely makes communicating with medical professionals very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, initially he was so, so sick that, um, I was just, you know, the information was more just about, is he going to survive? And the diabetes was a shock, but it was not the biggest shock in all of what was going on at that time. Um, so it definitely like took a while for the, you know, like, okay, he's going to live with a chronic illness to kind of sink in. Um, initially when we got to the clinic in the closest little town that we were living, um, by, he was, he had cerebral edema, he, his pH was 6.8. He was unconscious. He was in kidney failure. He was really, really, really sick. Wow. How, how quickly did that come on? Um, it came on. Let's see, on a, on Sunday, I thought he was like developing maybe a little bit of a um, stomach flu. And then he was unconscious by um, like m- middle of the night Monday. Mm, oh, my gosh. And mm-hmm. Looking back prior to that, was he losing weight or anything? He was. Yeah. You know, I have pictures that I look back on now and can see it like he doesn't, you know, he looks like he's lost weight. He looks he looks sick. Yeah. Um, looking now that I can, you know, now that I know what was happening, essentially, I think that he, because we were in this really new environment and he'd gotten a bunch of mosquito bites. And so I think his body was just, it just developed really quickly. It was, you know, by the time we got to the children's hospital there, he was in septic shock and, um, he was just real sick. If it makes you feel any better, a number of weeks before we realized Arden had type one, I saw her running around in a hotel room we were in, in a diaper. And all I said to Kelly was, are we raising her to be like a heroin chic model? Like that was, (laughs) so there you go. (laughs) That does make you feel a little bit better. Yeah. Cause I keep, I think like how on earth did I not notice that he had lost so much weight, but again, like I had no context for it. So it was like, well, I guess because we're traveling and yeah, he's drinking all this water. How many children do you have? Two children. Is he the oldest or the youngest? He's the youngest. His sister uh, was with us, and she's 10 years older than him. So 
Um, there's a big age gap between the two of them. Okay. Um, are they like, I don't know the word when you do it backwards. Are, what the hell's the word I want? Like, I'm trying to find out if, she, if one of them's like a step brother or sister. But Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Should I have said natural brothers? I'm lost. Uh, like, um, like a half sibling. Paternal. What, but if I wanted to just. All right. Hold on, sir. <laughs> Let's go through some basic <laughs> language for a second. If I wanted to just ask you. Are they related by blood through both of you, your husband and your wife? What would I have said? Why can't I like, think of that? Paternal? No. I, I, I don't know. You don't know either. You look I don't know. Than me yeah. in your picture, so it makes me feel better that you don't know. <laughs> okay. And by the way, cue the emails that people are like, the word you meant. I'm like, all right, thank you. Um, <laughs> I appreciate it when you guys tell me how wrong I am. Thank you. Um, okay. So they are – so. Are they both yours or is the older sibling your husband's? They're both mine. They're both yours. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Look at you hooking a guy with a kid. Easy. <laughs> no problem for Sarah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, hey, that's a heavy. I, I, listen, joke if you want. That's a heavy lift, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not making this up. <laughs> Have you ever met men? <laughs> they have a hard enough time taking care of the kids they made. <laughs> you start tasking them with paying for someone else's kid. Trust me. It's a heavy lift. I know what I'm talking about. Stop it. Let's not pretend. Okay. So um, were you married prior? Uh, no. Yeah. Gotcha. You just did that to make your mom mad. <laughs> yeah. It was another thing that I could really do to make her mad. <laughs> I have no idea if I'm right or wrong, but it's just hilarious. So it doesn't really matter. Um, okay. So does she have any markers? Have you checked her since all this has happened? Yeah, she has no markers. Oh, okay. Good. Um, how long did you think he might die during that situation? How, how many days until you felt more comfortable with his outcome? Oh, it was a lot of days. Like, uh, initially when we got there to the children's hospital they said they said he wouldn't make it they said actually what they said was when i got in there they said if you the you know doctor the er doc was like if you're a person of faith you need to start praying um and then they said that you know, they, it was just like a matter of waiting to see if his pH came up. And then once it was clear that his, he was a little bit more stable, they said he would probably live, but he was going to have extensive brain damage, Oh, mm-hmm, which was very, very scary. And then it was probably three and a half weeks, maybe three weeks. Uh, he was in the ICU for four weeks. So about at, at about three weeks, it became relatively clear that he was going to well, definitely that he was going to live and that he was probably not going to have extensive brain damage. Like at that point he was able to squeeze her hands and, um, oh my gosh. he was semi-conscious some of the time, um, and responsive, you know, like I could tell his personality was still in there. And, um, so, but it was a while. I mean, it was definitely, there were weeks of every day going to the hospital and just not knowing what was going to happen that day. You, you, 
<laughs> you have to know that this is one of the moments where I think maybe I should know more about what we're going to talk about before we start. As I laugh through <laughs> the first 25 minutes and then you tell me that, I'm like, oh, there's a, a striking tone shift, isn't there? <laughs> Sorry. Um, how much? Of the, how, how many times during those three weeks did you think, I really wish we didn't come to Costa Rica? Um, I, I mean, oddly, I felt like he was in really good hands there. Okay. And so it was hard to be there because mostly because of the language barrier. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't have like our community, our people, but he, I felt like he was in good hands. I had a lot of faith in the doctor that was kind of had taken his case over. I think, um, the doctor, his name was Dr. Perez and he really took Ez under his wing and I think felt pretty challenged by Ezra's, like he kept saying Ezra's medical presentation is challenging, but I think he like was really enjoyed treating Ezra. And so um, this, the medical system down there is so different and just the way that people relate to one another is so different. It was it was like very comforting sometimes to be in that country because people are so warm and supportive and loving that I would go to the hospital and there would just always be people around and people um, like very caring people. So I tried not to think about why are we here and why are we not in the States? And it would be so much better if we were in the States because I just couldn't really I couldn't get, we couldn't get back to the States at that point. So it just felt like my energy was better served just to be really present to Ezra and like helping him heal and survive. Well, I, I want to, you know, I'd like to say that just in case I came off wrong, what I meant was, is that like that exactly everything you said, like, not that it was like a place where they're like, Oh, medicine, what's that? Like, but you know, that, just that you didn't have people with you, the language barrier, like being far from home, like that kind of stuff. But it sounds like you handled that part really well. They knew he had type one immediately, right? Like this length of time yeah. was because of how severe his DKA was. Here you are listening to the juice box podcast settled in, having a good time listening to Sarah's story about Ezra. And you're thinking to yourself, I am going to get an insulin pump. I definitely am. I'm going to get an insulin pump. I don't know what kind of insulin pump to get, but I'm going to get, get an Omnipod. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. That's where you go to learn more about the Omnipod dash. That's it. That's all you really have to do. The rest of what I say after this is just, it's filler because the company is paid for this time and they deserve my full unadulterated attention. I'm going to give you details about the Omnipod Dash. Tubeless, we mentioned it. I'll say it one more time because it's a big deal. Completely self-contained, this little Omnipod is. You just you just slap it on, right? Just, I mean, you got to be a little more careful than that, but you, you put it on the body and it self-inserts, actually. It's completely self-contained, meaning the insulin's inside of it already, so... No tubing that goes back to a cartridge. No having to clip the cartridge onto your belt or stuff it in your bra. <coughs> I'm not editing that out. Or wherever else you got to stick. 
getting my full effort tonight, aren't you, kids? Um, or wherever else you would have to stick those cartridges for those other tubed insulin pumps. You don't have to do that with the Omnipod because it's tubeless. The Omnipod comes off every 72 hours and you just put a new one on. It's like, rip, gone, rip, new one. Super simple to do. Takes, I mean, we just did one two nights ago. I mean, if it took a minute and a half, I'd be surprised. It, I mean, we're very good at it at this point. I could uh, change an Omnipod like a race car tire. Like, it's like kind of done. But I'm a skilled professional. You understand? In time, you'll get it. Again, we're getting away from the point. The Omnipod is delicious because you can swim with it. You can bathe with it. You can play the sports with it. You, if you're an adult, you could make the whoopee with it. There's no need to disconnect from your insulin. And that's important, right? You know, we talk about this all the time on the podcast. Really well-defined, nicely balanced basal insulin. You don't want to just disconnect for 45 minutes to take a bath or an hour and a half to go swimming. You want to get your insulin. With the Omnipod, you can. What else haven't I told you? A small handheld controller does not need to be near the pod constantly. You just like when you're, you know, you're like giving yourself insulin, you're like, hey, I'm going to have 33 carbs and you push a button. It's like, Scott, based on the stuff you put in, it doesn't really say any of this, but like, you know, based on your settings, it'll say, oh, 33 carbs is this much insulin. You just agree to it and you're on your way. The minute you push the button actually and agree to the insulin, you could take the PDM. That's the personal diabetes manager, the little handheld device. It's going to look like a... Uh, uh, like a little Android phone for the um, the Omnipod Dash. Anyway, not the point. Like, as soon as you send the signal to the pod, you could take the PDM and shoot it to the moon if you wanted to. You'd still get your bolus. It's lovely, really. My daughter's been using an Omnipod every day since she was four years old, and she will be 18 this summer. I am, I am being completely honest when I tell you that the Omnipod has been a friend to her, and I believe it may be to you as well. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. If you heard about the Omnipod 5 and you'd like to take a look, omnipod.com forward slash juice box 5. Immediately when we got to the little clinic by the town we were living in, um, like within probably five minutes, they said to me, do you know, he's a diabetic? And I was like, no, he's not a diabetic. And they're like, yes, he is a diabetic. And that is when it all kind of sunk in that like, okay, this is, um, this is what's going on, right? He's having like a, he's a diabetic and this is something related to diabetes. And then, you know, I didn't understand at all, like, what was happening, right? Like I thought, okay, if you're diabetic, you take insulin and then the insulin, you know, fixes your blood sugar and then you're fine. But as, so he initially was at the little clinic by our house and then they had to transfer him to the hospital closest. And then from there, they transferred him to the um, children's hospital in the capital. And it took us about like a full day to get from the little clinic to the children's hospital. And I talked to several doctors you know, in the meantime, between hospitals, and they all kept kind of just like, you know, re-explaining it to me, like, mm -hmm. he's in DKA, this isn't something that you can just like, pop it you back know, out of real quick. 
yeah, like this is going to take a long time. It's very slow. It's, you know, he's very, very sick. How much of the, the needing to travel do you think impacted the situation early on? In terms of like having to get to the hospital, like you, you, you oh, said it took a full day to get uh, there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's a really good question. I haven't thought a lot about that. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I obviously the sooner we could have gotten him, um, you know, could have gotten him medical attention, the better, but, um, I don't know. It's okay. I'm just wondering, uh, what made the trip take so long? Oh my goodness. So, well, when we, when he was unconscious, we, you know, there's no like nine one one. So, or maybe there is, I don't know. I didn't know how to access it if there is. So we had to find somebody in the town we were living in to give us a ride up to the clinic, which was amazing. It was, it ended up that there was like a guy working on a house right behind our house and he spoke fluent English and he had a motorcycle and he went and got a woman who had a minivan and she was like there within three minutes and he carried Ezra out into the van and we got up to the clinic and she scooped Ezra out of my arms and ran him into the clinic um, and explained to them what was going on. And then um, we had to take a, like a little ambulance from that clinic to the, to the coast essentially. Mm -hmm. And then we had to get in a speedboat and go across a bay and the water was really choppy that day. And so as is on like a stretcher, we're, we're in an actual speedboat and I'm holding on to the boat and I'm watching as just like fly up every time we hit a bump and like come back down into the stretcher. And then we got off the boat and got into the hospital there. And then um, they kind of reassessed and determined he needed to go to the children's hospital. And that was another couple hours to get there. So it was just a lot of traveling. I have to tell you, I thought at some point there'd be a donkey in the story. I didn't realize you'd get the speedboat. <laughs> That's amazing. That I really, know. Yeah. You might win weirdest diagnosis story. Just Right? <laughs> I've said before, I don't have a trophy, but if I had one, I think you you could, I could send it to you. So uh, that's insane. That is absolutely insane. Your daughter's with you the entire time too? Uh, no. So she came with us to the clinic and they only allow one person in the ambulance. Right. So she went back to our house. And then when we got to the um, hospital between the clinic and the children's hospital, they said to me, we have to take him to the children's hospital, but you can't come with us. We can't fit you in the ambulance because they, I think they wanted to bring like an extra doctor. Mm-hmm. And so they said to me, you can walk down the street and there's a bus station down the street and in the, at that bus station, you can get a bus and you can take the bus to the Capitol. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm not gonna, I'm not leaving my kid here. Like, I don't even know where the children's hospital is. And they were like, well, you don't have a choice. So this is what you have to do. So, so I went, walked down the street, got on the bus, took the bus to the Capitol. I didn't know where to get off um, in the Capitol because yeah. I didn't know where the children's hospital was. So it was like some, by some miracle, I actually ended up getting off at a stop, like within a mile of the children's hospital and got a cab and took it to the emergency room. And then when I walked into the emergency room, everyone kind of stopped and turned and looked at me and 
you know, there, I was, I think as was the only gringo in that hospital. So they all knew who I was. And at that point, I don't think they thought it was going to survive. So, Mm. um, everything just like stopped. It was at that point, it kind of really sunk in how sick he was because I could tell they were waiting for me. And, you know, I just assumed the news wasn't good. Right. Wow. That's crazy. I'm so sorry. That's a a hell of a story. Um, the number of weeks later when he was feeling, how long did it take you? I'm assuming you, you didn't pick up and start your trip over. You got home after that. Yeah. So he was in the hospital there for nine weeks and then he was stable enough to fly home. So we hopped on a plane and transferred him from the hospital there to the hospital here. And he was in the hospital here for about a week and a half and then discharged and, um, and yeah, and that was the end of our trip. I'm sorry. I just looked at your notes that you put in when you sent in your, I don't even know what to call it. I don't even know how to explain to people how I get people on the show. But anyway, um, this entire time, I I felt I didn't realize, are you not married any, at all right now? I'm not married. No, so I was down there with my kids. Just you just, and your kids. Yes. Holy hell. Just by yourself. Are you okay? Like, uh, seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the whole obviously this was really, really hard, but he, I really thought we were going to lose him. And then I really thought he would survive, but he wouldn't be like the kid that I'd known. Um, and he is thriving. Um, and I feel so fortunate that he's alive and well, um, I'm okay. I mean, you know, he's a really, um, I mean, he's a really strong personality. He's a really strong spirit. He always has been. So I'm not, because of that, I think, you know, of course he would survive something like this. He's a fighter, but, um, yeah, we're doing good. Change your perspective on life at all. A thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like paint in your garage now and don't wear shoes and stuff like that? Or (laughs) where where did you, (laughs) uh, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, Yeah just life is short. You, nothing's guaranteed. Um, I, you know, the connection, I I think there was like maybe 15,000 people praying for him. I'm prior to him getting sick. Um, I wouldn't say that I was a religious person. And then when he got sick and, you know, Costa Rica is a Catholic country. So, um, there was a chapel in the hospital and just a lot of the, the, um, most of the doctors and nurses down there would always tell me like, we're praying for him. We're praying for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just amazing as people um, back home heard that he was sick, just the outpouring of like love and support. And um, I have a friend who has a connection to um, most of the Catholic communities on the West coast and a lot of the tribal Catholic communities. And she had, thousands and thousands of people praying for us. We, and this just like, I I would just hear about this and people would send me messages, how they had heard about Ezra and they had, they were praying for him. We, we were working with a um, woman in Australia who I don't know exactly how to describe, but kind of like a psychic, I guess. Um, And that was really helpful. Just, it was just a solace. Um, She would talk about, how she thought Ezra was doing. And I know that all sounds kind of like 
hokey, but um, it really, I think, showed me the power of energy and connection and love in the universe and um, how transforming that can be. Mm. And not a way, you, um, not a way you thought prior to this. No, you know, I definitely thought, you know, I um, am a long time, um, you know, I've been doing yoga and mindfulness for a very long time and I'm a therapist. And so I definitely had kind of a, a belief in the power of these things and the power of human connection, particularly, but I think this just really brought it to a whole new level for me that, um, you know, we really have, um, the capacity to impact one another through just the kind of positive energy that we send one another. Yeah. I guess too, just being in a different culture, like opens you up to their ideas and then it works out and you think, okay, well, cool. That worked. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Yeah. <laughs> I'll absolutely. take it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, everyone's like very positive down there. So I would, I would go to the hospital and they'd say, oh, you know, like his kidneys aren't working. And then they'd say, but don't worry. Don't worry. We're going to get that. We'll get this fixed. Don't worry. It's okay. Hmm. So it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll try not to worry about that and <laughs> we'll see what happens. Okay. Uh, thanks. Um, what's his recollection of this? nine weeks does he have he doesn't any? remember a lot of it he um remember so after four weeks in the icu he spent five weeks in the um like the endocrinology unit down there mm -hmm. because when he was um in the icu he developed a really large essentially a bed sore on his back and um it required uh, like a wound vac and like surgeries every few days. So that really kept us in the country longer. I think if that wouldn't have been the case, things would have progressed a lot quicker, but he remembers that period a lot. And he, um, not fondly, um, you know, yeah, yeah, it wasn't fun for him. Nine years old. Wow. Okay. Um, how are things now? Like is, I mean, you're home, right? You're we're home. Yeah, yeah. So you've been you've been here for quite some time. What? How does he manage? Actually, what did they give you there, and what do you have now? Sure. So there, they gave us. Um, <clears throat> let's see. We had long acting and short acting, um, all injections. No, and I think just like we were just doing finger pokes, so um, it was pretty basic. Um, and then when we got home, we kept doing that. I think he got a CGM right away. Um, we got the Dexcom pretty quick after we got back to the States and then now he's on the T-Slim and the Dexcom and, um, and that's been great for us. Is he using their algorithm? Yes. Yeah. The control. IQ. Yeah. Yeah. And you're from California, right? Like you have a California accent. I don't know. I'm wrong? from Washington state. Washington state. It's the same thing. Like that side. <laughs> I get you. I know. What West coast. Yeah. Do you know what I mean by by the way, what I mean by like California accent is like, you know, you enunciate all your words and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pronounce things correctly, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> you sound like I imagine we're all supposed to sound. I don't know. Um, but OK, so West Coast and you're in the middle of the country right now for reasons we haven't talked about, but it's not important. And he's using pumping now. And do, do you think that. 
has his story up until now impacted him or is he just a regular 11 year old kid with diabetes who's probably like not that interested in it and you know like like do you know what i mean like is there a, yeah I, I i i'm trying to i think what i'm asking is that does the did the experience bring a depth of understanding to him or just to you gosh that's a good question i mean i certainly have tried my hope is that it is that way for him because it was such a, you know, big experience for him, but um, I think so. I mean, he's, you know, I think he has, um, he's not naive, right. To what life can send your way. And I, I do think that kind of shows um, he has never really been, uh, he's always been a kid that's been a little bit, I mean, he's just a pretty um, wild spirit. He always has been. So um, I would say that he, I don't know that he's burdened necessarily, but just that he's seen um, something that most kids his age haven't. I mean, honestly, most people haven't, right? Yeah. I, I wonder because I find as my kids get older, that some of the things that happened to us that I thought were so impactful impacted me or Kelly, but not them specifically. Like, it's just different sometimes when they're kids, you know, like they don't see things the same way or they don't have the same experiences. So things don't like impact them the same. Like, you know, I grew up like incredibly broke. And so when something goes good for us, I'm like really impressed by it. I'm like, I can't believe we did this, you know? <laughs> yeah. And my kids are like, this is our baseline expectation for you people. You understand that, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like it's, and I'm like, well, you know, had you, had you lived in a situation where in the absolute worst part of the summer, you hung a sheet between the kitchen and the living room to keep the cold air in the one room we could afford to air condition, you'd see how exciting this is, but they, right. don't, they don't have that context. And so- you know, I, I used to sleep on the floor in the room that we could afford to put a window air conditioner in, in the summertime. And my kids are just like, they don't have that experience, you know, as one right. simple little example. So I was just wondering yeah. if he, if he did, do you guys ever talk about it or is it kind of in the past? No, you know, I really <clears throat> try to talk about it with him um, just to keep filling it in for him. I think, you know, I think it's important that we talk about it because I want it to be, um, I want him to remember it and not like the scary parts necessarily, but just like that this experience happened and that um, it was obviously like a really big deal for all of us. Typically when we talk about it, we talk about it with his sister and we'll just like tell stories, you know, it's not the nitty gritty of like the medical stuff so much. There were just like a thousand just wacky things that happened in that, you know, time that we were down there. hilarious things. And I know that probably sounds really strange given the severity of what was going on, but I mean, it was surreal, honestly, what was happening. Um, so, you know, we definitely talk about it and, um, but I, you know, I, I agree with you that like, this is all he knows. So like, this is just his life. And I've really tried to just make it as normal for us as possible, Mm -hmm. you know, like, not be overly anxious about his diabetes and not make too big of a deal out of it because I just want him to feel like he gets to be a normal kid. 
what was his understanding of your father's life prior to diabetes? Uh, there wasn't really. I mean, I think now we talk about it a lot. Like he, I, you know, aside from my dad being and Ezra being a diabetic and having that in common, my dad was, um, I think my dad and Ezra would have had a lot of other things in common. And so we talk a lot about like how great it would be if my dad were here because my dad could, you know, be with us and they could talk about diabetes and my dad would understand it and they could go fishing together, which is something they both love to do. And they could go sailing together and all these other things. How do you, we don't, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. We don't, you can keep going. I, I, you know, really steer clear from like, you know, he died in middle age from diabetic complications. Cause I, I mean, the like, you know, as is probably going to live a, a long, happy life because his diabetic management's going to be a lot better than my dad's and the technology is a lot better than it was in the eighties. So. Right. Uh, no, I'm just like wonder, like not that you would say it this way, but I mean, I don't know how a kid wouldn't hear, Oh, I got the thing that killed my grandfather. Apparently. Yay. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like where so I think that's, it sounds like what you're doing is introducing that idea. Not at all. Or very slowly. I mean, at some point you're going to tell him, I would imagine, but, um, I mean, I agree with, I, I, it sounds like you're doing it the right way in my opinion. Uh, but I just was trying to figure out like, like, because people could get dramatic. You don't, yeah. you don't seem like that, but I could see somebody Scarlett O'Hara, you know, forearm on the forehead. Oh my God, Ezra, this is what killed my dad. Like, you know what I mean? Like I can see people, you don't seem like that, but some people are, and you know, yeah. they kind of lean into that, that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't see why he's too young, in my opinion, to put that on him, because the idea that this is a different world now, management wise, and your outcome is very likely not going to be anything like that. I don't I don't know if he could hear that after you told him the first part. So it makes sense to me. What do you do for a living? I'm a therapist. Oh, see, you know how to talk to people. Are you working <laughs> me right now, Sarah? Am I being manipulated? Yeah, this is actually a session. I'm going to send you a bill. Is this, did Kelly send you? What's going on? <laughs> Am I crazy? Tell me now. <laughs> you imagine. That'd be, a, by the way, that'd be genius if Kelly did that. <laughs> she doesn't care that much. That would have been a lot of effort. Do you, uh, does your, you know, I ask everybody who's a therapist this, but does your profession help you in your personal life or not really? Uh, definitely. It helps me. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, just in this situation with him, like acknowledging my own like anxiety and worry and fear and being really trying to be really mindful, at least of not projecting that onto him and not doing, like you said, like the Scarlett O'Hara, it's we're doomed. Yeah. Um, I think that's been really helpful. Are you smiling right now? Like I am imagining younger people going, Scarlet, who? What the hell are <laughs> yeah. they talking about? <laughs> you know what the irony is there is I've never seen that movie. I just know the cultural reference. <laughs> <laughs> There's the internet for you. You don't actually have to know things to use them correctly. Um, I don't know what to call this episode. Because... <laughs> I, I want to work Ezra's name into it so badly, but all I have is the name of that band and that doesn't make any sense. So 
<laughs> yeah, I I look forward to hearing what you decide to call it. Yeah, well, it's going to have something to do with a speedboat, I'm pretty sure, because for <laughs> anyone who's like, listen, I'm going to say something right now I'm not embarrassed by. I love Survivor, the TV show. I have seen a great many of the um, episodes. And there was this one, see, if nobody's watched this show, at the end of the time on the island that they're on, they have some sort of a, I don't know, it's not important, but they leave with this kind of like bucket full of votes, right? But then the votes are counted back on the mainland later in a live show. And so they used to try to do these weird transitions where it would look like Jeff Probst would be walking out of the island and right onto the stage, you know, in California where they would tell you who won. One year, he jumped on a jet ski and rode away. <laughs> and I laughed for like, it was so ridiculous that I <laughs> laughed the entire time it was happening. And yet, that's what I thought of when you were telling me that your son was on a <laughs> speedboat. I was like, because all I could think was, well, that's unexpected. And so, it, yeah, <laughs> it was when, when the ambulance was driving to the coast. Um, and it was like clear we were going to, you know, go down to the dock. I was like totally racking my brain. I'm like, what is happening right now? Yeah. Are we getting on the ferry? And then all of a sudden I realized like, oh no, we're going to get on that little speedboat. And sure enough, we got on the speedboat. <laughs> Your son's like, I can't believe I'm laughing, but he's on death's door, obviously, right? I, which uh -huh. is probably the only thing stopping you from going, what the f is happening? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you don't fit in the ambulance. I thought I swear to god I thought you were going to say you rode on the roof of the ambulance at one point. I was like <laughs> If they would have offered me that option, I probably would have taken it and um happily done that rather than be sent down the street to find a bus to a city where I had no idea where the hospital was in a place. You don't speak the language. Uh, exactly. I, yeah. I would have joked about it at the time, but you went right into how everybody was staring at you when you walked in the hospital. I was like, well, now's not the time in the story to say this, but um, that really is frightening. You are incredibly like either you're high or you're really healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell which it is. But it's super early where you, well, it's not super early where you are. You could be a little loaded right now, I guess. But um, <laughs> I just don't, like, how did you, I guess I really do want to know, like, what did you do for yourself? Like, once you were home and settled and he was okay, like, did you address this for yourself? Or did you just, yeah. yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say over the last couple of years, it's like kind of the the, I don't know settling in um, and kind of dealing with the trauma has been a big priority for me. Um, I, you know, I have a really robust yoga practice and I do a lot of kind of just sitting in meditation or mindfulness. I am a runner. I um, am, I have a fantastic therapist. I have close friends that, um, you know, I really can, talk to and lean on when I need support. I have family in the area. Um, my sister's an, just an amazing um, support system. My daughter's incredible. Um, so, you know, I think it's been, I, I mean, I do think one of the challenges has been COVID because that was like, we'd gotten back to the States in July and 
it kind of felt like life was just settling in back to a little bit of like a new normal for us. And then COVID hit and um, that's been, I wouldn't say it's been particularly challenging, like with as, you know, we kind of got things sorted out. So he was able to like continue to go to school and I tried to keep things as normal and for him as possible, particularly since he was just, you know, newly diagnosed and had been through so much, mm-hmm. but um, just working as a therapist over the last year and a half has been pretty intense because it's been such a, such a struggle for so many people um, living through the pandemic. Yeah. I don't usually date the episodes, but today's September 2nd, 2021. My son went back to college five days ago and this is Arden's first day of high school and where she's in the building. So Arden, this is Arden's first day as a senior, but she's only, wow. been, she's only been to high school for a year and a couple of months, but she th- this should be the beginning of her fourth year. My son is yeah. in the same situation. My son is a senior in college who's only been at school for uh, three semesters, I think. Wow. You know, so, and I'll tell you this morning, she left and Kelly was still asleep and I sat in the living room. I am not a, like, I, I, I have to examine myself a little better. Like I don't enjoy my home. Like I don't, like, I'm not a person who just sits in like, it's like, oh, I have a living room. Like I sit in the living room if I'm doing something in the living room. I don't, I don't know how to put what I'm saying exactly other than I'm usually doing something. And so I just sat down and I was like, I'm going to sit here for a few minutes. And the dogs were looking at me like, are you going to feed me? And I was like, mm, not just yet. I need a second. Like, I, And all I could think was like, I can't believe they're finally back at school. And it's been so freaking long. You know, like, it's. I mean, what is it? March to March, then April, May, June, July. It's 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 a year and a half. You know? Yeah. So, uh, and then I didn't have anything crazy happening in the middle of it like you did. You know, so, jeez. My goodness. I, I have other questions. Do you have a couple more minutes? Yeah, I do. Excellent. Um, how are things going management-wise? Like, do you listen to this podcast? Like, how how are you here? Yeah, so I found your podcast. Ezra, <clears throat> We were when we were in Costa Rica, he went to the surgery. Like, it felt like a, a lot. He went every few days for probably four weeks. Mm-hmm. So, and I would just have to sit there and wait for him. And um, like the worst part of waiting down there was feeling like I couldn't do anything. I, you know, I just had to wait. So I started listening to your podcast and I started at the very beginning and, um, you know, I don't know how many years ago that was that you started, but it was, it was awesome. It was, um, like a connection to the diabetes community. And it also felt like, okay, at some point, like our lives are going to be normal enough again, where I'm going to be thinking about packing low snacks and, um, you know, managing his blood sugar numbers and what kind of pump we're going to use and all those kinds of things. Right. So that's when I found it. And then, yeah, um, I mean, <clears throat> you know, right now I, well, over the last, I would say, since we kind of got back and got on the pump, my, I keep wanting more information from the doctors that we work with, um, about how to, do better how to get his a1c lower or you know just like all the nuances kind mm-hmm. of of managing diabetes and i just often get told when we go to the endocrinologist like you're doing a good job he's in range enough his a1c looks pretty good 
what I've really appreciated about your podcast is I feel like you dig in and um, really provide more kind of information about like what it means to live with diabetes and how, you know, even pre-bolsing, like all the kind of details that go into doing that correctly. So it's been really informative. It's been awesome. I thank you. I really appreciate what you do. Well, no, that's my pleasure. I just, I couldn't like you're, you know, you're so focused on the the story, which was terrific, by the way. I just was like, I don't even know how you ended up here. I just looked, and South America in general is not, you could imagine, because I'm assuming the language barrier is, you know, would stop my podcast from being too big in South America. Um, it's, you know, and I'm looking, like, through Honduras, Guatemala, like, there's nobody, list, like, you know, there's no one really listening in there. There's downloads, but they're not of any great consequence. And then all of a sudden you just kind of keep banging down. Then you get to Costa Rica and I'm like, Oh, well, there's all Sarah's downloads. (laughs) 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 I mean, it's you and somebody else, but I don't think too many people is what I'm saying. Uh, But that's really, uh, that's really interesting. And um, I'm glad you just, you just jumped on. Were you a podcast person prior to this? Uh, A little bit. Yeah. Enough yeah, I think to search there. Yeah, I mean, I kind of knew like what I was anticipating what was going to happen once we were going to get. Yeah, I mean, uh, even this is true in the states. You know, like you go, maybe your kid has DK, and you go in and you're in the ICU for a couple of days or whatever, and then you go home and they're like, "Here's a book and a phone number to call. Good luck." And um, I you know, kind of knew that was going to happen or I don't, I thought that might happen. So I was really just like looking for more information. And I think what I've also appreciated about your podcast is it's very just like, um, well, I mean, the scope of it's pretty amazing, but just, it's really easy to listen to you. Like you present it. It's just, it's, I don't know. I'm amazing. I hear what you're trying to say. It's hard to get out. Yeah. It's weird to say right (laughs) to me, but yeah, I'm like, I'm terrific. I mean, there's no way around it. So I'm sorry. I, you were struggling. I just, I felt bad. <laughs> Thank <laughs> like, you for filling that in. Yeah. Yeah. You're fine. I'm, I'm, you know, listen, the information's one thing, but it's delivered by a, by, by a goddamn delightful person. <laughs> genius. <laughs> yeah. Just a genius. I mean, you heard me come up with the one. I fixed that healthcare problem in the first five minutes of the show. <laughs> no, one, no one's going to listen to me, but doesn't matter. Um, no, I appreciate that. I do. I mean, it's so. I hope you understand that from my perspective, it's crazy to think that that was your story. And at some point I intersected with it. You know what I mean? Like that's a real, like it, it blows my mind a little bit, honestly, you know, joking aside um, yeah. that, that I made a thing in this room and you were going through all that in Costa Rica and it, it found you and it sounds like it was valuable for you. Like that's just crazy to me. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. It sounds obvious. Like, oh, you made a podcast because you thought people would hear it. And the internet, you know, it works everywhere, basically. And But it's not that obvious. Like, you don't start something like this and think one day this person is going to decide to take a trip with their children and all this is going to happen. And at one point, you'll be sitting in a hospital, like, listening to me ramble on about diabetes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just very, it's cool. Like, I don't know another way to put it. It doesn't need a big word. It's just pretty cool. It's so, pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Have we not talked about anything that you hope to speak about? Uh, I think we hit on most of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, um, 
Yeah, he's doing really well now. We had a lot of surgeries once he got back to the States. For and the for the source? most part, those, what's that? For the bed sores? Bed sores. And when he was in Costa Rica, he had a colostomy put in. Um, so that was no fun and very happy that that got taken down. Um, but most, I mean, since, yeah, like he's all, I think we have most of the surgeries behind us and he's doing really well right now. You at some point had to wake your, your son woke up and you had to say to him, Hey buddy, you have diabetes and you're crapping in a bag now. And like, <laughs> don't worry though. We're still in Costa Rica. It's cool. <laughs> Vacation. Don't worry, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my god oh god. remember what the mommy colostomy. said <laughs> we're, yeah right we're gonna jump from microclimate to microclimate it's gonna be amazing <laughs> here we are it's gonna be an experience of a lifetime you'll go home and tell all your friends about all the love of love instead this bag here smells really bad and yeah, um it's so bad don't worry we'll take it off when we get home <laughs> maybe oh maybe. jesus yeah yeah, yeah well you <laughs> You are the worst travel agent in the world, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ezra always tells me he's never going back. Like, that's fair. We won't go back. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't think he'd even want to go to a warm weather climate. Probably, <laughs> kid probably gets a little hinky when the temperature goes above 85. <laughs> he's like, Ugh. oh my gosh. And hey, he doesn't, I'm sorry, he doesn't have any other health. <laughs> Hold on a second. God damn it. <laughs> Prior to diabetes, he didn't have any other health issues? No. No. Super he, healthy kid. And he doesn't now? No. No okay. other health issues. Okay. Just the diabetes. Yeah. Gotcha. I didn't know if it was like you took Tiny Tim to Costa Rica. I wasn't sure what was going on exactly. <laughs> but um, And does your daughter have a hippie name like your son or no? You don't have to tell uh, me. Zoe. So, so, yes. Then just say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how far up in Washington? Like, like Seattle? Uh, let's see. I was raised in Seattle, but we were living in North Central Washington in a pretty rural area of uh, Washington State. So that's part of the reason that we came back. When we came back to the States, we came to the Midwest was my family's here and we needed to be really close to the hospital and um, kind of a, a medical team for him. Yeah. So it's been great to be here because we've gotten great medical care for him. Cool. Have you ever um, reconnected with the, the healthcare workers in Costa Rica and told them how he's doing or is that, would that be hard? Yeah. Yeah. No, every year around the anniversary of his diagnosis, I exchange emails with his, uh, the PICU doctor that treated him, Dr. Perez mm -hmm. and just, you know, send him a picture and tell him like a few highlights of the year um, as did ski team last year, or, you know, just, letting him know kind of um, how great he's doing and how much I appreciate everything that they did for us down there. You guys are probably on their chamber of commerce website. They're like, look, if you come here and get really super sick, <laughs> we'll save your life. Don't we, can, we can save you travel insurance. You don't need travel insurance. We got your back. I can see the headline now. <laughs> oh my God. Sarah's the worst travel agent yes. might be the name of the, I don't know. I love the speedboat <laughs> thing though. It's hard to get away from, you know what I mean? 
God yeah. Damn, I would give anything <laughs> to see that speedboat moment. Because I'm assuming it's both hilarious and frightening at the same time from a third-party perspective. Yes. I, like, if I was hovering over top of it, I think I'd be like, oh, my God, this is horrifying. But look at that kid bouncing around on the speedboat, and that woman looks very confused. Like, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that was um, the majority of the experience once he got sick was like, uh, just like, shock. And there, I mean, yeah, like, here I am on this speedboat and my kids flying up and down. And the thing is, is like, you know, for the folks on the speedboat with us, like, this is perfectly normal. So there, no one's like making any big deal of the fact that he's, you know, in the air two feet every time we go over a giant wave. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and, and I'm looking around like, don't we need to worry about this? And no, no we don't. No, apparently, of course not. So. just you fancy American lady who's not a not <laughs> right. going on a speedboat to get to a hospital. That's all. <laughs> My God, this was like a real life episode of The Amazing Race. Has anyone? Do you, have you ever? Has anyone? <laughs> I just for a minute thought I was talking to everybody. Have you ever seen that reality show? Uh, I haven't, but I know of it. Yeah, I mean, it's just. It occurs to me now that that's exactly what was happening. They were like, okay, the day's starting, Sarah. You need to get to the hospital before your son dies. Good luck figuring it out. You don't speak any English. Here's a rudimentary map. Uh, like, you know, and then at the end you get there and there's this this guy with a weird accent who says, uh, you are the first person to arrive. <laughs> then I guess you get to stay in the show another day. I don't know. You get to live. It's not a perfect game show, if I'm being honest. <laughs> But but the entire situation feels like that, like, go faster, go faster, go faster. I don't know where I am. I don't know which way to go. I don't speak the language. Like, that's a crazy, that's just a crazy, crazy story. I am so glad you came on. Thank you so much for reaching out. By the way, yes, other people listening have crazy stories. These are the things I'm interested in. Like, like what are you doing? <laughs> Get on the show. <laughs> Sarah's done the right thing here today. You understand? Um, what did make you want to, I'm going to let you go in a second, but what made you want to do this? Uh, you know, partially to just raise awareness about DKA, I think, um, I mean, I know in the States it's not, uh, as lethal as it is other places, but, um, I had no idea what I was looking at. Right. I like, and maybe that's how I get, I'm assuming that's how it is for most parents, but if there's just like one person listening today, and they maybe have a diabetic kid and they talk to their neighbor or, you know, I don't know, like somebody hears it and yeah. they say, Hey, my kid's been, you know, drinking a lot of water, going to the bathroom a lot. And this story helps them avoid what we had to go through. That is time well spent. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I think why I wanted to come on is I just feel like, um, I feel like we, we need to be more aware of DK. It's really. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I do. Well, listen, I do have an episode already called DK on a plane. Like, do I just call this one <gasps> DKA on a speedboat? Yes. I think you found it. It could turn into a series. Like eventually. Yeah. Like, DK <laughs> on a public bus. DK on a motorcycle. You know, yeah. like, I mean, other people have to have good stories like this. Like, you know, totally. has anyone ever been in DK in a police chase in a car? That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it could 
be a whole series. Can you imagine like 20 years into this podcast, people are just like making stuff up now. They're like, you know, <laughs> like, oh, I once was on DK in a space ride because we're going to be able to yeah, fly right? to space soon. So, oh, my God. Sarah, you're delightful. Did you know that about yourself? Thank you. I don't know why your mom didn't like you. I'll let her know. No, maybe you tell her I said I think she's misguided. <laughs> Although okay. I, I bet you she could tell me some stories about a 14-year-old you that would curl my hair. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. First, let's thank Sarah for coming on the show and telling that great story. And let me ask you, uh, anybody listening, if you are somebody you love has suffered DKA on a strange uh, mode of transportation, please send me a note. I'd love to have you on the show. I think we might have a series going here. We got DKA on a plane, DKA on a speedboat. I mean, anybody got a something different? A boat, ferry, a rocket ship? Anybody had DKA on horseback? Let me know. Oh, I'm running out of music. I'm going to do the rest of this after the music. I'd also like to thank Omnipod for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox podcast. To learn more about Omnipod 5, go to Juicebox, but that's not right. To learn more about Omnipod 5, go to Omnipod.com forward slash Juicebox 5. And to learn more about the Omnipod Dash, to find out if you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Dash, and so much more, Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. There are links in the show notes of the podcast player that you're listening in right now. And there are links at juiceboxpodcast.com. but you can always typey typey with your fingers and put those links right in your browser. I want to thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the juice box podcast. DKA on horseback. Anyone, anyone at all, find my email address, hit me up.